ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. It is the end of a crazy, crazy week. So there is no better choice to have on Hard to Paint. No better time to have with me on Hard to Paint than my man, my brother from another, for another edition of High Low, Mr. Dino. The Dean Hanson. Dino, what's up, baby? Man, the content was just rolling out. We didn't have to work on anything, my brother. There is so much that has transpired in these past few days to the point that as soon as we think we had a wrap on things, then there was more information to come down. And then there was more reports to come down. So it's going to be fast and furious today on high, low, hard in the paint, brother, because there's so many topics to talk about. And thank you to all our Twitter followers who are asking questions. We're going to get to it. And as I always say, we don't just talk about the issues. We always give you the solutions of how to resolve these issues. So let's rock and roll, my brother. All right, first, let's do let's get this out of the way and make it real quick. And so we got the playoffs and where we are sitting right now in the Eastern Conference. Bucks come back, tie the series, three games apiece. Um I still I'm still worried about this game seven because it doesn't make sense for either side. You know what I'm saying? I, like Kevin Durant can't play any better, but I don't know if James Harden can play any better. The Bucks can't play any worse than they do at times, but I don't think Mike Boonholzer is the kind of coach who's going to be up for a game seven. Somebody has to win it. Who do you think wins game seven? I hope and I believe it's overdue for Drew to have that breakout game that he has not had. Budenhoser, for as much as you like him during regular season and as much as you like him as a person and his, his, his resume, he just doesn't make the necessary adjustments. Dude, you are supposed to be punishing, I mean punishing, the Brooklyn Nets in the paint. If Giannis at 6'11 shoots another fadeaway jumper over a 6'7 guy, or if he is dancing around with the basketball, backing out to then go right back where you were, he plays with no confidence. The whole free throw thing is really agitating me more and more and more. Coach Bud, it, it, it's almost as if he's afraid to say, look here, Giannis, I don't, eat, I don't want anything from you tonight except you punishing everybody in the paint. In game five, you remember when Kevin Durant got a rebound, Giannis somewhat softly fouled him, if you will, kind of wrapped him up. Mm -hmm. And KD almost bowled him like, get off me. Who do you think you are? And Giannis just backed off. He didn't meet KD chest to chest. I had an issue with that. You showed a lot of weakness on your game. The fact that as a player, and, and, and mind you, I'm not even being old school on this to a degree. I'm just being in the park. I'm just being 
I'm the best dude on my team. That's the best dude on their team. I got him. I don't need Coach Bud to tell me, okay, in certain situations. No, no. Here's the situation. I got him. Do you understand how difficult you make it for KD? And we've talked about this. The one thing offensive players hate is for somebody to make them uncomfortable, preventing them from getting to the area where they want to get, making it difficult for them to score, being a, a nuisance, if you will, around them. Giannis never poses that. He, 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 he never shows that air of toughness for me. They are such a perimeter-oriented basketball team to a flaw, if you will. Uh, Brooklyn, on the other hand, I think KD is going to go ahead and have another KD game like he did in game five because they're going to be at home. They're going to feel much better about it. Um, James Harden, of course, he'll have another game under his belt. The fact that Milwaukee hasn't even made it a point to see just how bad James Harden hamstring is also bothers me. Listen, That's on Drew. I That's agree. on Drew. You need, but this is what I'm saying. Not just Coach Bud, but as a player, dude. And people can take this how they want. I'm going to make you tear your hamstring. I'm not trying to make you tear your hamstring, but I'm going to test you because I know you can't move laterally. When the Bucks sit there and you put Lopez in one corner <clears throat> and you put P.J. Tucker in the other corner, you make James Harden not have to move on defense. Mm -hmm. You have allowed him to say, I'm just going to stay in the vicinity of right P.J. Tucker. Yeah. And even if he takes these shots, him taking the shots is the best of the five options on the floor for me. So if they're going to exploit me by throwing it to P.J. Tucker, great. Let's do that. And that's on Boonhoser from allowing them to – and you saw last night when they had, when they blew the lead two different times, when they had double-digit leads, they blew it and they finally extended it late. It was because the offense was doing the exact same thing over and over again. I didn't see them making it easier for him by putting the ball in Drew's hands and running some basic pick and roll, giving Giannis those backdoor opportunities to get lobs. And like you said – taking more situations where either Middleton or Drew is the primary ball handler, Giannis is already in the post. And you say one of them take the shot, but nobody's going to out-rebound Giannis. You, Nobody. The off, he finished, the exclamation point he put on the game was with an offensive board and a dunk in the paint. The, the biggest play he made during their run was taking it coast to coast and finishing at the rim with the finger roll. Those things, when you get him going downhill – Yes, but in the half court, there are very few players at his length, not just his height, but his length, who are able to take multiple dribbles and create that way. That's why when we talk about Kevin Durant all the time, we talk about his efficiency with his dribbling. And we could, when we talk about him comparison to Brandon Ingram, is that Katie don't waste dribbles. Mm -hmm. Not there trying to, people talk about the bag. Katie's bag is to get to my spot. It ain't the, he's not the greatest ball handler of all time, but his handle is tight enough to get him where he wants to go without you taking it. His ball handling skills, KD's ball handling skills, is predicated upon this caveat right here that Coach Rob taught us growing up, that Coach Griff taught me at high school, that Coach Val taught me at Gregory Middle School before I even got to Oregon. 
when you put the ball on the floor, it's to go somewhere. Go somewhere with a purpose when you put the ball on the floor, not just for the sake of saying, I've taken a dribble. They don't do things with a purpose on Milwaukee. Nobody wants to attack the rim with the necessary veracity that is needed. And in this series, the fact that the fact that Giannis has not taken advantage of that in any shape, form, nor fashion, and when he does, it's only for that moment. It's never consistently. And that's what's lacking for the Milwaukee Bucks for me. Giannis and them haven't given me a reason to believe that they have the cojones to take it to Brooklyn and want to fight. Brooklyn, Milwaukee always looks like they're, boy, I'm glad we got off. I'm glad we got off with that win. They don't ever have an air of confidence like, yeah, we took over that game. Because even last night when KD and them made their run, they always look worried. Milwaukee always look like they are on the precipice of crumbling. And KD has embraced the venom, if you will, that is directed towards him. And he is reveling in that venom. Joe Harris is, gonna, is, is probably the X factor for them. If Joe Harris doesn't make shots, then Brooklyn doesn't win this game, I don't think. But it'll, I think it's very tight because, like you said, Milwaukee has a bunch of guys who play very tight um, when it comes down to these circumstances. Another team yeah. playing very tight, Philly, as they approach the end of that series with Atlanta. I think Atlanta – I picked Atlanta to go to finals after the first round because everything changed for me after the first round, you know, with injuries and, and, and taking the information that was available. Once the second round started, I felt like Atlanta had the best combination of coach, versatility of play – and health amongst the remaining Eastern Conference teams. And I think that they're playing with a sense of, we're supposed to be here. They're not surprised that they beat the Knicks. They're not surprised that they're up 3-2 on Philly. Mm -hmm. And I think that they really believe that they're smarter, tougher, and more together than Philly is. And I certainly believe that Nate McMillan looks at Doc Rivers and thinks he's a better coach. I was just about to speak on that. The X factor for me, is going to be Nate McMillan in this Atlanta series uh, to, to, to go ahead and wrap this up against Philadelphia. I, it's a travesty that the Atlanta Hawks think they're going to do better than Nate McMillan. Given what this man has done without any legitimate, on paper, superstars, he's got a bunch of guys believing in themselves. And D. Grubb, you know this to be true. When players believe in their abilities and capabilities, that alone will have them doing things that may be out of sorts, if you will. Philadelphia, on the other hand, Ben Simmons is going to have to seek some help mentally this offseason because he is weak mentally. He is extremely weak. He is not built for it. You can see him thinking about everything before he does anything. What is different about his game than it was at LSU? Tell me one thing that is worse. I was going to say, if anything, he has regressed. He has regressed. If anything, I think what's going to be big for Philadelphia 
they're going to have to get a serious outpouring from Tobias Harris and Seth Curry. Seth Curry and Tobias Harris are the two that will get Philadelphia over the hump because Ben Simmons just is not that guy. He's not mentally strong. But to me, Nate McMillan has outcoached Doc Rivers by four. And again, Doc Rivers is being exposed, I believe. He, he, he's being exposed. Is that they know, A, that Joel Embiid is not going to be the same guy in the second half. You always believe that Joel Embiid's second half is going to be worse than his first because he's not. He's going he's to get fatigued. And then mm-hmm. you start, you stop worrying about the guy who's their primary ball handler because he either will not or cannot shoot the basketball. Not from anywhere. Not from anywhere. Unless he's in transition, he is not going to pull up for a mid-range. He's not going to shoot a three. He's not going to come off of a screen. He's not going to post up. So your he, primary he's not go- He's not going to be an offensive threat. He is a major liability on that court. And Atlanta knows it, and they've been attacking it. They know this. They know this. They you laugh know, at and, him. And Trey Young has proven himself to be. And this is where I give Nate so much credit. Nate has gotten Trey Young to recognize, stop trying to be Steph Curry pulling across half court. I can get you more effective shots and make you a better basketball player if you do it within the confines. I'm not saying you can't shoot it from out there every blue moon, but that can't be your M.O. for everything. You also alienate your teammates when you're doing that. Now your teammates are engaged. They're involved. They want to do things to see you pull up from deep. But what does that also do? Now that opens up the lane for you to get to the cup. And he is a willing point guard who will go to the cup as well. For as slight of build as he is, he will get to the rim. And I like that about the young man. Uh, Clint Capella has been huge. Um, Lou Will Lou Will is doing what Lou Will does he's doing Lou Will things alright he must have that lemon pepper on his hands because he's coming in doing exactly what he has always done being that that go to off the bench Philadelphia hasn't been able to match that they just haven't so I, I would not be the least bit surprised the only way Philadelphia wins this game is because it's in Philly. But other than that, and they got to ride it, and Philly will ride the momentum, but not necessarily get the win in the fashion for which it will be. Atlanta, I can see Atlanta. I can see Atlanta with this chip on their shoulder because they did it in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, we beat New York in here. I don't care. Like, if we did it in New York, we could definitely do it uh, here in Philly. And Philly will turn on itself faster. Philly will turn them fans in Philly are not there for this because they're already upset. And so they think of this as a failure already if they, you know, and they're mad at everybody. So let the first quarter, I think, you know, Nate is going to do one of those things where he says, we have to set it early, take the crowd out immediately in this game in the first quarter. Yes. I'm not talking about, we got to, you know, come run up and down the floor and do dunks. No, we don't, we don't mess up. No turnovers, play sound defense, get your hands on the balls, you know, create transition opportunities, but we got to win the first quarter. If we don't win the first quarter, then we go to battle. Because I'm not trying to get down by 20 again and do that. But I want to. I want Philly's crowd to be silent, and then everybody on Philly's team gets lemon booty, and we got this. Let's go to the West, and you got Clippers and Jazz. Clippers and Jazz. No more Kawhi. Um, Great game by Paul George, but Mm -hmm. that's what he's paid to do. 
at this, you know, you are a guy who finished top three in MVP not that long ago. Um, you play off P. This is you supposed to do this, and he's going to have to come through because Marcus Morris ain't going to shoot the way he shot the other night. That ain't going to happen again. Um, Reggie Jackson might is probably not going to shoot the way he shot the other night. So it's on Paul George again. Basically, he's in the same position that Kevin Durant is in. You have to do mm-hmm. everything it to win this game. Yes. He's capable of doing that. Yes. He definitely but, – but, but you know the difference in Paul George's last game and why he stepped up? Attacking the best. Notice – Oh! And for how long have you and I been saying he has – resolved himself to being a bad long range jump shooter and doesn't attack the way he used to when he was in Indiana, even sometimes in OKC. He attacked the rim. He got to the club. He made free throws, all the things that you need. And that's what he was able to do. Um, I certainly think the Jazz, uh, the Jazz are the better team. They're the better coach team, certainly. Quinn Snyder is better to me than Teron Lou. Mm-hmm. But I don't I'm worried about their backcourt with Donovan Mitchell's injury and then of course Mike Conley. That without that stability, I mean I think they'll shoot better than they did in the last game. But uh, they need Donovan Mitchell to be dynamic. That's what's been carrying them through the playoffs is him being dynamic. He doesn't have to score 45, but he has to create those opportunities for other guys. He has to get Bogdanovich in rhythm. He has to get Joe Ingles in rhythm, and they play off of his energy. If he doesn't have that same bounce, then I really worry about Utah in this game. The Chris Paul COVID thing is just so awkward in its timing. It's bizarre. And – Phoenix, to me, again, Phoenix was playing the best basketball of any team, East or West, in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Playing the best basketball. Um, I don't think that they're if, – if, if Chris Paul ha- doesn't miss a game, I don't, I don't know. They might, they might sweep the, the conference finals if Chris Paul's available for all those games. Um, as good as they're playing right now, I think they can win this, this – close this series. I absolutely do without him. Um it's just I'm worried about the start of the conference final. It would be a shame if Chris wouldn't be able to be there to play in these Western Conference finals because I can't think of anybody that deserves it more. And given what he has shown in this playoff series, given what he's shown since he's left the Clippers, that he wasn't going to go silently in the night that he was gonna change his diet. He's done that once, now doing it again twice. Three times. I mean, three times he's elevated these friends. He took Houston to the conference finals, right? And if he's not hurt, they probably make the NBA finals. He takes OKC to the playoffs when nobody thought they would. So he's in five franchises in his career. Every last one of them, when he got there, he made them much better than anybody gave him any right to be. He's a transformational mm-hmm. player. But Chris Paul is one of the players, when we talk about the difference between being a player that puts up numbers and being a player who impacts winning, Chris Paul impacts winning. Mm-hmm. 
And that's that's that Chris you, Paul. Can't be, you can't have a better compliment for a basketball player than you make winning possible. And that's what he does. He embodies all of that and more that you need from your floor general and leader on your basketball team. Everything, not just vocally, but even him going down to make his free throws, him making it a point to get to his one specific spot on that right free throw line hash mark and shooting a little baby fade away. No matter who it is, he knows his go-to, and he has done a phenomenal job at leading this Suns basketball team. I mean, you can see that look on their face like, oh, come on, man. Not today. Not right now. You can see it. And another team that took on the personality of their coach in that Monty is a no-nonsense guy. He's grown up a lot. You know, he's admitted that he's learned a lot in the years between his last head coaching job and this one in New Orleans to now. And, but the one thing you knew about Monty was that he's not there to play. This is not playing basketball. This is the job of basketball. Chris Paul is working the job of basketball. And so to have those guys in this of a like mindset and to bring that professionalism along with Jay Crowder, along with the guys who are on the bench and to hand that over to a kid like Devin Booker and people mm-hmm. act like, well, Devin Booker was, was in a, was a loser because no, you can be a winning player in a losing situation. Yes. Devin Booker was a winning player because he was working. He was trying to figure it out. He was expanding his game year to year. He had to be put in a winning situation. Chris Paul taught him how to be efficient, economical, and be explosive all at the same time. And on his own, he's grown up and figured those things out. I'm not going to take credit away from him in figuring those things out too. But, yeah, that's what you want. You want a team that, uh, just like Atlanta, just like Atlanta, guys who haven't been there but don't believe they ain't supposed to be there. They all believe they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be right where they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I still think the Suns are coming out the coming out the West. That's what I'm saying today. They come out the West as long as CP3 is there. Yes, that's the caveat. Is if he has to miss it with the COVID yeah. thing, then. But if he plays, I think they go. It's it's. It, I don't think anybody's better. Mm-hmm. I think they win a championship. Really, I can agree with that. I think they're the best team playing left if if Chris is healthy. All right, so now we move I can on. Believe that. Move on to the Pelicans. <laughs> so we can fully focus on them. First, I've given uh, my actions to the David Griffin press conference after the Stan Van Gundy firing. I think that David Griffin sells a whole lot of nothing. He says nothing. He says words that don't mean anything. I'm not the only person that's noticed it. It was well talked about the media. And but the contradictions, and I just want that's the part where I want to get with you on is the contradictions. That a couple weeks ago, this is the man who, who saw Point Zion when none of our other candidates did. This was a guy we wanted to thank him for the progress, you know, that we were made with our young players this season. He he helped develop them. We, we, we Our defense got better in the second half of the season. Now, we know the failures, but this is what was coming out of David Griffin's mouth. All season when Griff was saying the young players have to earn their minutes, that Griff was talking about that, but then we hear now that there's a conflict that Stan wanted to play Bledsoe and that Griff wanted the young players playing. 
Well, why are you not communicating that message to each other? Obviously, it wasn't getting from person to person. And then why are you telling the media one thing when now it's coming out that it's something else? It just it, it, it makes it hard to ever have faith in anything that Griffin is saying. It always feels like a snow job. It always feels like you're being bamboozled on something, like you're being hoodwinked on something. You, you never get that level in that air of comfortability that you know a team must have. They don't look like a team. They don't talk like a team. They don't walk like a team. They look like 12 individual guys on the court. On the court. You need to own your lack thereof. And we've talked about it and talked about it until we're both blue and green in the face. The roster construction was bad. It was bad to start with. You say you had a fundamental difference between Stan and, and, and who and what you were. Well, what did you do when you do diligence meetings before you decided to hire him? Because one thing about Stan, Stan's going to tell you exactly who he is and what he wants to do. There's no pretense with Stan Van Gundy. No, none. So whether you loved it, when we, you know, we talked about this when he was hired, we said the one thing was you knew exactly what you were going to get. So nobody should be surprised. You knew he was going to be a yeller. You knew he was going to be talking defense. You knew he was going to be holding players' feet to the fire because that's what he did everywhere he's ever been. He's been blunt. He's, if you, sometimes you've gotten great results and sometimes they have not been great. But you knew what you, you were going to get. You know, with the media – you know with the media, he's going to be candid. His frustration is going to show. He wears his emotions on his face. He doesn't hide it because that's what old school guys did. They let it be known. And the same way as coaches, you have to be held accountable. No question. As players, you have to be held accountable as well. A coach's responsibility is to help put you in a position to be effective. Only you can go out and execute. You got to finish the deal off. So let's start with that because we got a lot of questions about, you know, everybody talks about, you know, coaches get fired. We talk about Griff's job, but let's start with the players and their accountability. So now from their perspective, from the article that comes out and says the Zion's family isn't happy, which again was not something that you and I were surprised with because we've talked about this before, that they weren't happy with certain things in this situation then that's not a surprise. It's not a surprise that Zion's not happy with losing. None of those things are shockers. We've been down this road before. Yep. But you get all of this. So now you're Zion Williamson, and for whatever reason, you're now on coach number three. If you're Brandon Ingram, man, you're now on coach number four or five in your career and all of these things. The organization has said that we basically has told you we're trying to do whatever we can to find a fit for you two guys. The onus is now on Zion Williamson and Brandon Inger to um, to take ownership of this team then because mm -hmm. there ain't no guarantees for whomever the coach is. And we'll right. get into that in a bit, but there ain't no guarantees no more because you just fired a guy with a four-year contract in year one that's yeah. been to a finals. That's won 60 games. So there's no guarantee for anybody. So it's on you. It's on you, Zion Williamson. It's on you, Brandon Ingram. It's on you who helped – every one of you who helped get a coach fired. Because that's what's happened. For two straight years, the majority of you guys have been together and you've gotten two coaches fired. Mm -hmm. 
it ain't all on the coach. No, sir. Because when you had the coach no, that loved you, that wanted to, that taught you up, you ain't work for him. You didn't play defense for him. So you get a coach that yells at you and tells you, I want you to play defense like it means something to you. And you didn't want to do that for him. So it's on the players now. Mm-hmm. It's on the players, as much as it's on Griff to fix the roster, and we get into that. But from the players' perspective, it starts at Zion and Ingram. And if they don't own this summer, and whomever's on their roster when they show up at, at, at the beginning of camp, or whoever has to go to summer league, if the attitude from day one is not – it don't matter who's on the sidelines with us. It's about who's in between them and us 12 and what we do. If they don't have that, if Zion and Brandon can't get that for themselves and for the rest of those guys, it don't matter if you got Phil Jackson. It don't matter if you got Red Auerbach. It don't matter if you matter if you got Coach K. It don't matter if you got James Naismith. Pelicans ain't going to be worth shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's really no other way to put that. And what's going to wind up happening is, and I even mentioned this also, D-Grub, you are now showing a level of instability in your franchise that are going to make free agents wary to come and play with the Pelicans because look at what's going on. It looks like a house of divided dysfunction. No veteran is going to want to come and be a part of that. They're so busy looking at the micro and not looking at the macro of it all in that, yes, we know we have to write this ship right now, hands down. So for me, it boils down to, and like I posted, the first thing I would do if I'm Griff, is have a conversation individually with every guy on the team that we pretty much know or think or would like to have come back. Then we like to have a conversation individual with those who don't like my style, those who who, who have a problem with what we're trying to do, and then collectively come together and go, okay, based upon the votes that have been tallied up, you're telling me you want XYZ particular coach. You're telling me this is what you're willing to do to get this particular coach. It can't just be the coaches in. It can't be the front office in. It's got to be you guys in because what wins and losses come from is what you guys do on that court. The Pels are setting a wrong and bad precedence and leaving a bad taste when it comes to the Pelicans basketball team. Hands down, they've got a bad taste in people's mouth. And, 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 and we don't have to go back historically. We know what transpired with Chris Paul. We know what transpired with AD. You lose another generational talent, you're just going to continue to tread water in mediocrity or less than mediocrity and be satisfied with that. Because you're, you're the, not going to get over the hump. You're the Nets of the 90s, you know, the Clippers of the 80s. That's what happens is you get all these number one picks and these great players who come to, you, to your organization and you don't win and then they leave and fan bases diminish and, 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 and that's just how it works. But mm-hmm. to me, you know, when we talk about those front office things, the first question is, has the reputation damaged their ability to get a top-notch candidate? We've already seen some of these teams. Boston Celtics are on their second round of interviews already. Mm-hmm. So how much damage 
even if you've identified, because clearly you don't make this move unless you've identified a small pool of people. And we've seen Charles Lee, uh, his name mentioned in Brooklyn. Emma Yudoka's name always comes up. Um, Teresa Weatherspoon's name has been mentioned, even though uh, Griffin kind of put a kibosh on that. And then um, you heard, um, you know, it's the same other names, David Vanderpool, that kind of group, Jerry Stackhouse, blah, 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 blah. Mike D'Antoni's mm-hmm. name is even in that mix or whatever. But does the situation now, and and also I think Gail Benson too, her perception, I have to pay three more years on Stan's contract, whatever I got to pay. Because mm-hmm. even if he takes a TV job, I got to pay something of it. So how much is she willing to pay then for that candidate? And how much does that impact the pool? Because a veteran coach is going to ask for more than what a stack house in a Udoka, a Vanterpool is going to ask for. And then how much security as a coach looking from the outside, do you feel like security and support when it also seems as if David Griffin wants influence on who gets minutes in the rotation, who plays what they want. It seems like they want Zion to be more of a perimeter player than an interior player. If you as a coach don't see that, but you still see a path to winning can you take the Pelicans job and make it into that? I'll tell you what's also disturbing when it comes to possible coaches. Two names that I have been saying for the past few seasons and one of late because he just came on a year ago. The fact that Chauncey Billups name hasn't been mentioned and Sam Cassell name haven't been mentioned is disturbing to me. And simply because of this, those guys have led teams before. And what's the main thing that the Pelicans are missing in the locker room? Even if you don't have it from the players, a vocal leader and a point guard, which both of them have played. You see, the Pels don't have a leader on that team. We know this already. you got a bunch of guys on that team that don't communicate. They don't talk, okay? If you have players that don't communicate, you damn well better have a head coach who knows what a point guard needs to be doing, who will be communicating. I'm not the least bit surprised for as well as T Witherspoon is highly regarded, as I mentioned on Twitter, to go from being on the back row to not only the front row to leading your squad, it would be a death wish to me because it will give... It will give them reason to say, see, women still aren't ready yet. It would be a setup, I feel, on her ability, because I love Teaspoon, amazing coach. If you couldn't handle the truth and honesty of Stan Van Gundy, you ain't going to like nothing Teresa Witherspoon got to say coming out of her mouth in a post-game interview. Because you know, Teaspoon, in her mind, is still a player. And you know this as well. We all love our assistant coaches. We all do. But to transition that chair from that assistant to the head coach, Zion and everybody like you now. It's but different when you like control you the minutes. It's different when you control yes, the minutes. And, yes, and I, sir. And I think you're right for, for Spoon, for any, for just to take the, the, for the female head coach, whomever it is, whoever the first one is, you better have the full support of your organization and know that they're going to stick with you. And I don't, again, I wouldn't have that belief 
right now if I'm in an interview for that Pelicans job because I've seen David Griffin fire two coaches in two years. And then if I go back to his his track record in Cleveland, I've watched him fire coaches in Cleveland. I, I watched him fire David Blatt when David Blatt had the best record in the NBA. <laughs> so if you're a coach, you look at that and you can't help but feel – that there's no job security with David Griffin, that whether this is true or not, that if it's true or not, that this dude is willing to throw his coach under the bus the moment things go wrong. It, whether that's That has to be the perception amongst other coaches. It's his knee-jerk decision-making. Everything is at the, it's almost like he's an emotional person when his decision-making comes into question, and you've said it millions of times on Twitter, he's like the used car salesman. You get the car off the lot, hey, I don't know what you want to do about it now. You already signed the paperwork. I got to move on. You always get that level of instability. And day, no free agent veteran is going to want to be a part of that. No coach is going to want to feel like they're in a position where we all know in our lives, at any job, any day or tomorrow, we all are replaceable. We get that. But to be a head coach in the NBA is an entirely different level of that. You want some sense or a semblance of, okay, we got three to four years to put this together. But in the case of the Pelicans, no, we don't have that luxury. In the case of the Pelicans, and, and you hear people say, well, everybody wants to win right now. That's not true because you got guys who want the other bag and don't really care about the winning aspect. Give me my bag so I can get a better contract. Give me my minutes so I can move on to a contender. So not everybody wants to win. It sounds good in theory, but everybody don't want to win. It's okay. a job. So like you got to just like at any job, there are people at your office who want to work real hard, who show up early and get all this stuff done. And there's cats who cruise and they get their 40 hours in and they're all right. And then there's the people who come in late and dip out early and leave work for other folks to finish. There's that at any job in sports. Any are job. No difference. Any job. And this franchise, we know has to get this right. Because here's the thing about it. You bring in Chauncey Billups, you bring in Sam Cassell, uh, you bring in any coach, any of them, you're also going to be wondering, is Zion going to leave now? Now my job really becomes that much more difficult to do. I have to be Zion. I have to be, have a relationship with him. Yep. But yep. does Griffin allow that? That's my thing is, is Griffin trying to be the barrier between everybody and Zion? You know what I'm saying? Like, if if my relationship with Zion is good, then, then everything else doesn't matter. But it doesn't seem to me, look, you ain't put the wool over Zion's people's eyes. They do not view this stuff as a family. They don't view this as organic. They They get that this is a business. And they have known that probably since that boy was 14 years old. And they said, we are in a business and we need to prepare as if. And the business of Zion Williamson is winning. That is the yes. brand of Zion Williamson. It's yes. winning. So mediocrity yes. is not good for my brand, brother. And so it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how much David Griffin talks about 
family and love and speaking hard truths. At the end of the day, the only thing Zion Williamson is trying to hear is W's and L's. And we better have a lot more W's coming than L's. And Dave, just because you speak it and say it so, don't make it so. You can say you're a family from here until Timbuktu, but that will be displayed on the court. Hence, the reason why that organization is in such disarray and why players don't care what Stan Van Gundy said, what Alvin Gentry said, because they know David Griffin supersedes all of that. They ain't got to placate to Alvin Gentry. They don't have to placate to Stan Van Gundy, okay? Because they know Griff is the one that will make the determination of everything. How many times did we hear Alvin say, I would have loved to have Zion in the game. But I was informed, but I was told, but dude. Go check the video of Griff literally telling people to tell Alvin to take Zion out of the game. If you cannot coach your team, you can't coach your team. And your players know this, and they're not going to give you, not necessarily intentionally, but they're not going to give you that level of, of, of professionalism, that level of class, that level of respect because they know you have no say so in nothing they're gonna go over your head for everything because ultimately if i feel as a player that i'm more secure in my spot than you are as a coach and that's already the case in sports every every player already (laughs) knows because their money is guaranteed that it's harder to move them than it is to get rid of the coach Mm-hmm. But if that imbalance, like you said, is so obvious to everyone that when you walk in the building, you know that the coach is not the guy, it can't work like that. And it's every organization where you see the, the, the general manager, the front office executive, when you see them prominently and they're always in articles, when they all out here diddying it up, you know what I'm saying, all up in the videos, trying to get executive producer on everything instead of just taking care of the basketball business. That's your job. Just take care of the basketball business. Buy the groceries and let the chef cook. Any player at any level will tell you, if I know I don't have to listen to what a coach is telling me, dude, I'm going to run amok. Just like you use the analogy when it comes to a kid. If that kid know they can walk all over you, they're going to walk all over you. They're not going to pay you any attention whatsoever. That's the environment and the culture that has been created. You keep on talking about this whole aspect of you feel like a family. As an organization, and when you look, and, and, and you have to look at Griff's track record. When you look at it, like you mentioned, in Cleveland, he's doing the exact same things in Cleveland that frustrate. Remember when LeBron got so frustrated with what was going on in Cleveland also? It's the exact same MO. It's just that now he's talking slicker in a city that's full of slicksters. You remember this saying? How many times did your dad say, because my dad said, son, you can't bullshit a bullshit. And it's not selling okay. you because you, you also don't have LeBron to back up your bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So it's easy to talk shit when you got the biggest dog in the yard. But the Pelicans don't have the biggest dog in the yard. You got a pretty big puppy who can got mm-hmm. some bark, but mm-hmm. you don't have the biggest dog in the yard. LeBron came home and he was ready to play. 
and he was ready and he knew exactly what he wanted too. And he told man, regardless, I'm on regardless a of contract what was going on, regardless of what was going on with ownership, what was going on with management, I'm here because I want to be back here to win this for my city. It ain't I'll leave when I'm ready got. to leave. And he told him too. He's like, I'm just here to win this and I'm out. I win it and I'm gone. Exactly. And he did that. If your organization was built on a great culture and family, he wouldn't have wanted to leave. He knew what it, he knew what it was. He knew, bro, who would want to leave a good family when you're moving in the right direction and you got the right culture, you got the right people. Did he have a good culture in Miami? Did he have a good culture in Miami? Did he leave it? Did he leave it? Okay. When he got to the Lakers, did the Lakers have a culture? They didn't have no culture when he got there, right? But then you win and all of a sudden you got a culture again, right? So what's culture other than a byproduct of winning? That's what culture winning. is. It's a byproduct of winning. winning. And you do not lose winning. your way into winning. If you think that you can lose your way into winning, that there are such things as acceptable losses and that there is a pathway to victory by losing, then you are wrong because in sports, it is a immediate. All you have is now. All you have is now. I do not know how healthy you will be in the future. I do not know if you will be traded. I don't know if you will live or die. All I know is that what I got right now, and you have to play with the urgency of now. You have to act with an organization. That doesn't mean be hasty. That doesn't mean make stupid, rash decisions, but you have to act as if the most important season is this season. Unless you are in a position like some of these other folks where I got nothing and I got to build, but the Pelicans are not in that position, and they were not in that position when David Griffin got here. Taking these things for advantage resonates with me like procrastination. To me, procrastination is a, procrastination is a level of arrogance that you feel you have time to do it again. Procrastination and your arrogance is literally almost saying, oh, that's okay. We'll deal with it later on. There is no later on. You have to do this right now. Now, especially when you have, and the NBA did everything they good from a did everything they could from a TV standpoint to make sure you were getting the attention. They were doing all that they could to put you on the tube every chance you had because of the draw with Zion. Then you hear people that will also say, well, you know, Zion doesn't have any leverage. He only played 80 plus games. Okay, here's the deal. In his first season, he would have played more, but he was held out. And you and I had talked about this for the longest. The man is 18, 19 years old. Stop trying to change his walk and cause his hips and his knees to all of a sudden have problems. Accept his walk. We talked about this before when it came to LeBron's pigeon-toed walking. Let him walk the way he needs to walk. It's done. It's done. You can't, you're going to cause more injury than anything else. But in his second season, yes, it does take a minute to build. But the Pelicans never showed you a propensity, even in a loss. They never showed you a propensity of them even being on the right track or being close to being in a winning position. 
They didn't have an air about. You can look at teams that may lose a game and be like, they got something though. They're they're right there on the precipice of. You can see it. They start to do things correctly. They start to do things consistently. They start to show you a level of execution. They start to show you a direction. You never get that with the Pels. When the Pelicans win, it's because of their level of talent. When they lose, it's because of their level of effort. And that tells you that if your effort cannot be consistent and a team that doesn't have sustained winning streaks means that they don't play consistently. A team that loses to bad teams regularly means you don't play consistently. A team that loses on the road all the time, loses at home half the time means you are not consistent. A team that loses... bad teams... So when bad teams show, with less talent, bad teams with less talent don't even take you seriously. Who are you to get up for the best, but not be ready to play the teams that are your equals or your lessers? Who are you to have that level of arrogance? So that goes back to the players because that's not an Alvin Gentry problem. And that is not a Stan Van Gundy problem because those things preceded the both of them in many cases with these guys and their level of effort and who they are personality wise. Um, Was it a mistake to keep, keep all three Lakers players when they were traded in from, you know, as part of that, the deal, the Anthony Davis deal. I saw that. And I will say this. I understand that Lonzo's ball, that Lonzo balls game has improved but it hasn't improved in the right areas that you need from your point guard. He individually has gotten better, but he still does not know how to shape and lead and guide your team as a point guard. Even with Eric Bledsoe, we knew he wasn't that guy to begin with. So should have been broken up and you should have gotten somebody better. Here's the deal. There wasn't really anybody better to get at that time. Like who was there to get that was willing to even take a charge from Lonzo, given that he showed you nothing when he was in LA. So nobody was gonna want anything and give you anything in return. I don't necessarily say they should have been broken up. I just feel as though they weren't put in the right position and then they didn't, you know what it is, they. You have too many guys on that team that are too like personalities. Or who need They're the same thing. The, the like same guys who came in and all needed minutes. And you can't give everybody minutes. And you can't play to develop everybody. And the Pelicans have way too many developmental players in one way or too another. Many. So Everybody you- on this roster, look at them. Everybody on this roster is a project. They're all a project. Everybody except for, you'd say, Steven Adams at this point is the only one who is a fully formed NBA player. And he is limited and he is limited in what he can do. And we'll get to him individually, too. So, yeah. So every you can't have an entire team of projects. You just can't because they don't know what to do in situations. They don't. That's the reason why you applaud a Phoenix and James Jones for going to get a CP3. We know we need to get us to that next level. You need an alpha dog on that team who can guide and direct and lead. And you've never had that on this team. So, and those three guys in particular, and, and we knew coming in Zion 
We knew coming in Zion wasn't going to be able to be that guy because he just wanted to be the young guy that fit in. He's 18 years old. He's one of those respectful kids who feels as, and I don't want to call him a kid anymore because when you're in this level, you're a man now. He's just a really gregarious, nice young dude who was raised by two parents that taught them about respect, discipline, responsibility, and this is the way you go about doing these things. So he just wanted to make sure that he wasn't disruptive, he fit in, he goes along with everything. All right, he almost, he almost tends to shy away from the limelight. I mean, if we you saw will. that too. Okay, so that he wasn't going to be. Because he always wanted to include RJ. Remember, it was the, the whole thing was as Zion Mania was growing, he always made sure that they included RJ in the interviews. And then, we, like you said, last year in, as a rookie, he, he a lot of times said he wanted to just be a part of the team. Now, I do believe behind the wall of Zion, there is a lot of fire that's waiting to explode. Oh, uh, I, I firmly absolutely. believe that. He is, he, it, I do not question his competitive spirit. Uh, I think he, he has to learn how to lead. That is something that I don't know if he – not. I'm not saying he's not capable of it. If you ask me between the two, Ingram or Zion, I'd say Zion is, I would say is more capable of being a leader than Brandon today. That's what I would say. But to specifically talk about those three players, I'd say this, look, when you take on those three guys from the Lakers, you were hoping for the best possible scenario was that you had one that you knew you were going to keep that you knew that one of those three was going to be an all-star. That's what you're hoping is that one of those guys becomes an all-star. One of them becomes a serviceable role player, and one of them makes you make a decision. That's what happened. You got it. This is, you could not have had it work out any other way. Then this is the best possible way it could have worked out considering how trades typically go in the NBA. When you trade a superstar, you're hoping to get one all-star at the deal. And essentially you've done that and getting brand name. A guy can put up 25 points a night for you. You have, in Lonzo Ball, a guy who developed in two years into a player you have to make a, de- a decision on. What is his value? Is he good enough for me to, to make him a piece or do I need to move him on and allow somebody else to take him? Because he's, but it, the decision has to be made. It's a hard decision. Josh Hart has shown you that he is a professional basketball player, a serviceable rotation player. But at the same time with Josh now, it's the perfect timing to let him go. So you don't lose on the Josh Hart deal. I got what I needed out of him for two years. I got a he was serviceable a- NBA player who could take on 20 minutes a night and do that job. And now I can let Josh Hart walk and I can keep Najee Marshall and I feel fine. I'm okay. So everything I got out of that Lakers trade, I am happy with. Now, am I happy with, Do I think? would I rather Lonzo be doing different things? Sure. Would I rather Brandon Ingram show me some different things? Sure. But the overall outcome of that trade, I don't think you could have gotten any better than what you ended up with today. Agreed. Agreed. And and we knew when B.I. came, we didn't know what we got from B.I. was what we were going to get from him. Because... Because he, because his sample size was too small, in addition to the fact that, yeah, he did have something to prove, but we didn't know if he was going to actually prove himself. So the jury was out on Brandon Ingram. So we didn't know, do we break it up? 
do we try to keep it together? Do we ship off one? We had no way of knowing any of this information until they got on the court and we saw, okay, that's great that Zion likes Lonzo. But here's the other question that Zion has to ask or the people around him have to ask him. Does he make you and this team better? Does he take you to that next level? If you talk about winning is essential for you, big fella, that's great that you like him. This ain't about liking. This is about the W's and is this individual going to get you those W's that you need? Or is he going to disappear? Is his shot selection going to continue to, to, to be suspect? Lonzo makes bad decisions with the basketball. He's too loose with the basketball. He doesn't guide with the basketball. And I'm not picking on him like that. Again, his individual game improved. But just because one's individual game improves doesn't mean the team has improved. If you want to win now, we got to figure out who is going with Lonzo. Here's the thing I will say. If you stick with Lonzo and the guys that are quiet on this team, let's not forget D. Grubb. And I have to keep mentioning this for a reason. Free agents talk and they see what is going on in New Orleans with Grip. Nobody is going to want to come to New Orleans. They're not. So with that, what do you do? You have to hire a point guard coach who is a vocal director that when Lonzo starts to get out of control, that head coach pulls him back. That head coach is almost guiding. Chauncey and Sam Cassell are great or when he that. gets, or when he does pull back too much, too, can get knowing to when say, to go. Yeah, say, look, that pull up's been working tonight. Keep going to that pull up. You got, you've been knocking that down tonight. Why did you? Why did you stop doing that? That you have to do those things. Now, I would say, look, you know, should you bring back Hart, Lonzo? Hart, I am out on, and that's nothing against Josh Hart. That has nothing to do with it. But I can get the same production, and I've said this over and over again from Najee Marshall: taller, younger, more athletic. His ceiling is higher. It doesn't make sense in the financial situation that I'm in to pay Josh Hart for three, four, five years to do something that is not going to ultimately get me to my goal. He's not. Go there are enough guys like Josh Hart in this league that I can find as I'm trying to get better. And, and when you say that, let's be clear and get people to understand. We're not negating anything that Josh Hart did. It, but we can find somebody who is serviceable just like that again. For less money and who is not For going less to get money. hurt. Who's, who's not shown, and I'm sorry, Josh has been hurt every year. He gets hurt. So that part of it, and, I, and again, his ceiling has been reached. He's not going to get any better as a basketball player. It's, it's mm -hmm. done. That His level is there. He is a guy who's going to shoot it probably around 33% from three. He's going to give you some boards. He's not going to take anybody off the dribble. He's only going to get worse as a defender as he gets older because he's not quick enough at 6'5 to guard real twos, and he's not tall enough and lengthy, lengthy enough to guard real threes. So he's always a reserve. You cannot start him for stretches and think that he can carry your starting lineup. So to me, it's out on him. Now, Lonzo, to it, me, is a very different situation because you have two questions to ask yourself. Number one, how much money do you really believe he's worth? 
And if you're not willing to, to go to that, if, if there's a number that's too high, then that's all, you already need to be planning on moving him on. And we've talked about that all year. If there's a number that you can't meet, then you need to already start making that plan to move him on. If you're keeping him, like you said, it matters incredibly what you do with Eric Bledsoe and these other draft picks that you have, these other assets, because the most important thing now is getting a legitimate two or one or whatever that combo is that you're talking about for Lazo, somebody who is a legitimate perimeter defender and who can attack the basket and who has length. It can't be another 6-2, guy. It has to be a legitimate guard with length if you're going to keep Lazo where he is. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for the same situation. If you get another guy who Druin and Bledsoe are very similar game style, the way that they play, you cannot have another person like that next to Lazo. It has to be somebody who is the fire to his ice. And that's why people were asking for that Nikhil Alexander-Walker Lonzo backcourt to see that because Nikhil does provide that en- energy. I think Nikhil is still best suited as a sixth man right now as he continues to learn the game and is, is, is so confident in his scoring. I think that second unit needs that. But they need somebody like Nikhil more evolved for that other position at the starting guard spot. Somebody that has that air of <sighs> – you're going to get this 20 tonight. That's somebody who's going to say, I'm taking it to the hole, and you're going to get this 20 tonight. Now, if they might not have to score 20 for you every evening because if Zion's giving you 25 and Ingram's giving you 25, but I want that legit third scorer, that third guy in my starting lineup who can give me 18 to 25 on any given night. Mm-hmm. And that's what every team needs. Like that Chris Bosh, Chris, they didn't ask Chris to give him 25 every night. But Chris was going to give them 18. And if they needed 25, they needed 30. Chris could give you 30. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For the, for the, for mm-hmm. with, the, with, the, with the Warriors, KD and Steph going to carry it most nights. But Clay can drop 40 on you if you ain't paying attention, if you let him go. So that's what the Pelicans need is that type of guy. And I know everybody wants Bradley Beal to be that person. But Bradley Beal is not going to be available this offseason. And there's nothing that the Pelicans have that the Wizards want in exchange for Bradley Beal, unless you're giving up Zion Williamson. And there's no way the Pelicans are giving up Zion Williamson. So I, I, Bradley Beal's out the thing, but what you need is an, somebody who can be explosive at that two spot. Because Ingram is not an explosive scorer. Zion is, is explosive in the post. He's, but you need at the perimeter somebody who not only can shoot it, but that it's not a one-dimensional role because people say we need shooting. No, what you need is people who can create their own shot, people who can get to the rim and shoot the basketball. They have to be – you need a multi-level score. You need a person – you need a person that is a versatile scorer, not a one-dimensional scorer. It's all not right? just because a shooter. the NBA is – Exactly. It's about you being able to create your own and shoot unless and somebody might be listening and say, well, what about Utah? Utah has shooters. Yes. But Utah also has an alpha dog in Donovan Mitchell, who is always attacking, who is all who can also pull up and shoot, who can also get to the rim. This team is sorely lacking. And we have been saying this for years. They are sorely lacking an alpha dog on this team 
who will guide, direct, and address everything that is going on to improve this team. They don't have that. Because you look at the offenses, let's just look at the teams, the, the, the offenses that are at, at this stage in the playoffs. What are your top three when they're healthy in Brooklyn? You're talking about Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant. Three of the greatest scorers of all time, but all can create their own shot and create shots for others. All three. You talk about Atlanta. You were Trey Young, and then you've got, you know, John Collins. you got Danilo Gallinari. You've got Lou Williams. You have enough guys around Trey who can score. Who can, who can, if they have to, Danilo Gallinari can get you a bucket on his own. He don't need you to run a play for him. He knows how to get a bucket. Lou Will can get a bucket. You know, they're, they're guys you have to have. When DeAndre Hunter was healthy, he was getting buckets. So, I mean, I think exactly. exactly. And the reason Philly is in trouble is because they don't have enough people who can score. The reason Milwaukee has problems is because they don't have enough people who can score. The reason Phoenix is so good is because Chris Paul can hit that mid-range and a three. Devin Booker can hit the mid-range to three and take you to the hole. DeAndre uh, Ayton can do the screen and roll. He can knock down a 15-footer from the baseline. Mikael Bridges can shoot the three, and he can drive to the hole. And Jay Crowder is just as comfortable punching it on your face in, in, in transition as he is shooting that corner three. So you have to have people who are willing versatility is what is necessary the pels are too focused on well we need one of these we need one of these we need one of these no you need one of these that can do all of that you need basketball okay. players that's you the word we keep saying you need basketball players not Bas- specialists basketball players you basketball basketball players I told you once before there was a. Uh, I told you once before there was a kid at St. All that told me, "Man, coach, my jump shot is wet." I go, "Well, what if I stop you from shooting the jumper?" He's like, "What do you mean?" I go, "What if I stop you from shooting your jumper, coach? Can't nobody stop me from getting my jumper." I go, "All right." I said, "Let's do the shell drill real quick." So I'm playing defense on him, and I and I'm not letting him touch the ball. Oh, come on, coach! I go, "No, no, 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 no." See. If you can't get the ball, how effective are you in shooting your jumper that you think is so wet? So I'm going to prevent you from getting the basketball. You're ineffective. But if you know how to catch and put the ball on the floor and get to the cup, if you know how to make a pass and cut and get to the cup, you saw Kevin Durant do it last night. He makes a pass at the top of the key. The defense slacked off. He dives right to the lane, gets the return pass, goes to the hole and gets fouled. Just because I can shoot it, just because I can shoot it from 28, 29, don't mean I'm going to have to rely on it all the time. I'm a basketball player. And I think people take that phrase, shooter, shoot, score, score. You see what I'm saying? Score, score. In a multitude of ways. Because last night, everybody, with Brooklyn, it was Joe Harris has not been shooting a well all series. He's got to keep shooting his threes. That's fine. But like you said, what do you do when that shot's not going down? How do you generate offense for yourself? Because your team needs you to score. We need you to score. It's not just shoot. We need you to score. I need those points. A made two is better than a missed three. So if you can't figure out a way, if you're threes, it, I'd rather you be two for five on some twos than 0 for eight on them threes. Because you might get <laughs> me something keep, else. You might get me something else. About, and all I keep thinking about is when you said that just now, a made two is better than the missed three. 
all I keep seeing and laughing at is Chris Paul making it a point to go to that right free throw line every single time. Every single time. Because that's his sweet spot. That's my sweet spot, and I'm going to get there. And I how don't many, care. How many threes did KD shoot last night? How many threes did KD shoot last night? Like six? Like six the whole yeah, game? Somewhere's around it. Somewhere's around it. Somewhere's around it. He's not shooting 10 threes a night. And that's the best score we may have ever seen in our lifetime, just as far as just pure scoring. Yeah. Getting his shot when he wants it. Kevin Durant ain't shooting a bunch of threes, yo. He's really not. No. He's really he's not. He's giving it to you. He's giving it to you in a multitude of ways. Because he knows he can get I'm that gonna, shot over anybody, anywhere, anytime. Anytime. And I'm gonna I, give you the I'm gonna give you the business the way I want to give you the business. And that's what he does, bro. That's what I, he does. And this is what and, and again, you know, again, okay, so last night he actually took eight last night. He was two of eight last night. And he had finished with how many points again? Finished with 32. Okay. And he made finished with 32. two threes. <laughs> you don't have to be a mathematician to be able to do the math. Okay. It's not to say that we're sitting here saying, skew the three, don't shoot the three. What we're saying is that's not the only shot out there, man. Like you can play basketball still. Like that, that space exists for a reason. It's not just for running through. You can, if you are a good mid-range shooter, there's the, the thing about a bad shot is about time and who's taking it and the location. What's the time on the clock? Who took it and where are you standing? Because that's what changes the percentage. It's not just anybody being in that spot is going to shoot it poorly. Anybody, no, it depends on who you are. If that's a good shot for you, take a good shot for you. Don't pass up a good shot for you because the stat says this is not a good shot overall. That's not how look at look at Denver. Look at Denver in the Phoenix series. Every time Denver would come down and pull up and somebody would shoot a long three, what would Phoenix do? Come down, get an easy two. Come down, roll to death. Get an easy two. Because they're banking on you and the percentages of you're not gonna make as many threes as necessary to get yourself back in the game. Hell, D-Grub, look at the Utah Clippers game the other night when as great as Utah was shooting the ball in the first half, what did they keep doing in the second half? Shot themselves out of the game and the Clippers win the game. Mm -hmm. Because twos, even Paul George recognized, okay, you know what? Let me start getting to this rim and get to the free throw line. Then everybody started saying, man, Paul George was old playoff P again. Paul George must have seen Kevin Durant the night before, and he started doing the same thing. Well, yeah, I'm going where I'm effective at. That's what a scorer does. I'm not just a shooter. Like, if you think Steph Curry shoots threes only because he that's the shot that he can take, no, he knows he's going to make that shit. Like, that's his comfort zone. He is not human. <laughs> So he, that's where he's comfortable, but he's just as comfortable taking, taking you to the cup. He will do that to you, and you will think that he can't. It's a good shot if it's a good shot for you. For you. And that's and it's the funny. Guys do not recognize where their good shots are supposed to come from. They have let their brains go 
to the to the service of analytics in some cases. And I think that there are coaches who have to who are actively fighting against that and saying, think, think and understand because that's what there's no way that Steve Nash tells Brooklyn to go out there and just play four out and, and shoot as many threes as you want. And there's no, no way that because he was a guy who created easy shots and penetrated. He was a reluctant shooter. Steve Nash had to be told at times, please shoot more. You are such a great shooter. Please shoot more. But he was uh-huh. so determined to get uh-huh. guys those shots early and often and dump those things off for, for so that uh, Amari Stoudemire didn't have to shoot outside of five feet. You know, so- hey, bro. Look at what Nate McMillan has done with Trey Young and getting him out of just shooting long-range balls just for the sake of shooting. I guarantee you, I wasn't in the locker room, but you know it to be true. I assure you, Nate took video, sat Trey Young down and go, young fella, let me show you how you can be a great basketball player in this league and not just be this shooter. Let me show you how effective you can be. Let me pull up this video for you. Dude, it makes all the difference in the world. And I'll show you that footage of how many times you missed a long three and it turned into easy points going the other way. I'm gonna show you that every time. You took a bad shot and it turned into points the other way. All right, next question. Um, It's kind of tangent, would you wrap this one up quickly, this question. Would you resign Lonzo just to make Zion happy? I say no. You don't do that ever to make players happy. If it's not part of your plan, you can always get more talent. I can find that, and winning makes players happy. But if I get the wrong fit just to make you happy, we ain't going to win. And here's the other part of that. To piggyback off the exact same thing that you, you just said, who's to say a year from now, two years from now, Zion is not going to want to be in New Orleans. He's already got grumblings. So who's to say when that rookie deal is up, you didn't did what you could to make him happy, you kept Lonzo, you didn't win, and now he says, all right, I'm out of here. The only moves you make are about winning. The Pelicans are not in the position where they can go with, well, we're in nursery school, and I want to be friends with this person, so I got to like this person and be friends. No, If you no, got a championship, no. then maybe you do like what people have done with LeBron and do him some silence. You know what i say? We're bringing right. some of your friends and do those things. That's fine. But at yeah. this stage, dude, I know what is going to make Zion Williamson happy. Go ahead, winning and contending for winning and contending for playoffs. Winning. That cures everything. everything. Hey, you everything. see your friend, you see your friend when we play him, but your friend ain't helping us get W's. And that's all it's about. If you think you're gonna win with Lonzo. Keep Lonzo. If you think you're gonna you're keeping him to make Zion happy, you are making a mistake. And it's something you can't come mistake. back from. You can't come back from it. Because yep. players, again, the things that players know, if you will do this to placate Zion, then Zion gonna start asking for other things to be placated, things that he don't even want, just to keep testing. Just to keep t- that's the nature of people. If you start giving me that rope to get away with it, I'm gonna get away with it. I will. And, and that's the reason why I will go back to this. And I stated it the other day. David Griffin, instead of him trying to make all decisions, if you decide these are the guys that you're going to keep, you need to have a sit down with them individually and go tell me. 
and I'm writing on my notepad right now. What is it? I'm not saying I'm going to give it to you, but what Be is clear. it that you would like? What is it that you would like in your head coach? What do you think you need in your head coach in order to get us W's? Meet with everybody individually. And then after you have gotten the report from everybody, have your assistant type it up. Not only do you read it, but you hand it out to everybody. So no, they can see for themselves as well. You don't have to say off of who it. said what. Yeah, take the names yeah, off. That's what, that's what I just said. You don't have to say who said what. But based upon the notes that we took in our individual conversations where everybody had free reign to speak, these are the specific criterias that players on this basketball team said that they wanted in a head coach. If this is what you want, now I'm going to go out here and make sure I attain the coach that you want, that you feel, because I want you to have input. Again, I'm not saying that everything on this list that you gave me fit into the scheme. Right. But I want ultimately... you to have input and say, so that way when you're talking to the media. Yeah, ultimately, if you're Griffin, your job is to articulate the vision. And that's I think that's where people feel like he's failed the most, is that you have no idea what the vision really is. It's a bunch yep. of punch, it's a bunch of code words and things like synergy that don't mean anything. So your first job is to have that vision, a business plan. Basic part of anything is what are the, the real tangible signs of success that I'm looking for and what do I demand of my employee? What is my job description for that individual? And like you said, yes, I'm more than, it's more than the practical to take input from those players and get that information. But like you said, now I'm also evaluating the players on that too because if this is the things that I value as an executive, and the things that I want as part of my team. And when I've asked you about what you want, they don't align with what I said I want, and I'm the one who's ultimately accountable for this, then now I've figured out which players do not need to be here before I even get That's that coach. Because my this coach is, is going to line up with about. my stuff, and my players are going to line up with this. And if you don't, you got to go too. Because everybody's this is going. what I'm talking about. My brother, my brother. My brother, what people don't recognize is even when it comes to us doing high, low, hard in the paint, even though we could differ slightly here or there, we are aligned on what it takes to get you to that next level in order to win games, which is what we are both here to do, to win. So if we don't match up Based upon what you're saying, based upon what my plan is, we've got to make changes here in order for us to get that point of the W's. There's no other way to go about this because there's been too much disconnect historically and still currently that's going on. You can't continue to give these smoke and mirror words, but yet the action is going on over here. That the, but you've got everybody's attention over here. It's like a cat when you lose that little red light and you, you're doing this, and the cat takes off running at that little red light while you got something else going on over here. No, we have to be all on one accord in order for us to move in the right direction. Synergy is not something that just accidentally happens. No, you find out the strengths and weaknesses and if they align. And if they align with your business plan, people that are listening, you're all in business, 
if you have somebody that works in your company that's disruptive, you're not going to keep them there. You're going to figure out a way. Okay, listen, we've made this change and it hasn't worked out. We've made this change and it hasn't worked out. We got to move on. We've got to. The Pelicans have talent. And so when people talk about, they said, if you want to leave them on something to give them optimism, I'm going to say this. From a talent perspective, the Pelicans' cupboard is still full in that regard. You've got plenty mm-hmm. of talent to move to get the right pieces that you need because the 15 that you got right now, that's not the right mix. It is not the right mix. It doesn't work. It but just those, doesn't work. But those things are out there. And I think that the biggest thing the Pelicans can do, and people always ask for one thing that would make me super happy, it's not a player name. It's not a coach name. The one thing that would make me happy this offseason is identifying the player profile of what you want. Not stop this whole thing of grabbing potential. Like I said, the Pelicans have so many kids. And I'm gonna tell people this reality that they need to be prepared for. Because you have Didi, Jackson Hayes, um, Naw, and um, all of and those three, with Naw and Jackson Hayes in particular coming up at the exact same time on their contracts, Mm-hmm. And you think people ain't going to throw a whole bunch of money at Jax and they're going to throw a whole bunch of money at Naw? They certainly will. So you got to make those decisions probably this offseason on one of those two because you will not be able to pay both if you have paid Lonzo, if you have paid Ingram, and Zion's extension comes up. Those three all at the same time, Zion, Naw, and, and Jackson. You, there's no way you can afford to keep all three from that rookie class. It will not happen. So one of those guys, and it's not Zion, so it's either Nall or Hayes is likely to get moved in the near future, maybe not this Mm -hmm. season, but next, because you have to. So if that's the case, then identify the player profile that you want. What are the pieces that I'm looking for as people to make this team? Because the team is not the combination of your skills. It is the combination of personalities and skills. So if your people don't fit, it don't matter how much talent they have. And the Pelicans have all the talent on paper that you could possibly want, but they do not have the, the right things inside. They do not have the right things upstairs. That makes on me paper, not right. On paper, talent doesn't lead to winning on the basketball court if those pieces do not go together. It's like a game of chess. They have to move a certain way in order for you to say checkmate. And I don't if think they don't if they, if, if, if they don't work cohesively the right way. And then Dave, here's the other thing about it. All right. Let's be honest with folks. How do you even convince a free agent to want to come here? You're going to have to overpay. What do you and what you do you tell them? You, either, and you don't pay. What do you tell them? So all your options are through trade primarily. So that's what these assets are for. Because if you're not an attractive, you know, anyway, you're not an attractive uh, free agent market, whether you're good or bad, New Orleans is always going to be lower on the list of free agent destinations. Get it. Got yes. it. Fine. Yes. So, you know, you have to make trades to get better. So now you put yourself in, in the position because this is what David Griffin has done by being public with these failures in this regard. Yes. He has now has to overpay when he goes out there. The good thing is that, he has enough stuff to overpay with. You've got mm-hmm. enough draft picks and stuff to give away because, again, you can end up like Danny Ainge and the Celtics did, holding on to all that stuff, hoping that the big day was going to come, and now you ain't got no job. 
So, and no rings to show for it. You cannot act like those assets in 2026 and 2028 mean something to you. They don't. Those, those, are, those chains don't exist to you. Get rid of them and give me some winners today. The only thing you can sell, if I'm a free agent, the only thing you could sell me on to come to New Orleans, and let me say this, do not tell me anything about the food in New Orleans. Do not tell me about the culture of the city. I could care. If that matter, that people would sign in Atlanta. People would sign in Miami. People would sign in Chicago. That stuff doesn't matter to players. They don't care about the city. None of that matters. The only selling point that you have is Zion Williamson and you can complement each other with your skill sets. You two can work together with your skill sets. You have been around a winning culture. You've not been around a winning culture. You would be an integral part of where we are moving forward to. Despite the, the, the level, despite the level of uncertainty and the instability that we have had in the past, we are shaping that with you in mind. If you're as slick of a shysty salesman talker that you are, you should be able to pull this off with the free agent to convince them that they should want to play with Zion. Because then Zion, being the superstar that he is and unselfish, will also benefit you as well. That's the only way you can sell somebody to come there. The only way. I'm going to close on this. And I think it's the most important. It's a lesson that I learned from Ross Jackson talking about the Saints. And I think it applies here. And this is who I'm going to close on. The Sean Payton got to the point when they were going through those seven and nine seasons and they just, things were not going right. But they figured out we have to be more aggressive in how we plan this. So not only do when they bring a player in, do they have a plan for the team? They have a plan for that player. This is what you are going to be when you get here. This is exactly what we expect from you when you get here. Now, everybody's accountable, right? The organization's accountable because it, it is said, this is what we want to do. The player's accountable because this is the role we set aside for you. You need to understand it, learn it, do it. If the player doesn't meet the role, they're gone. If the team doesn't implement the role correctly, that coach, that Sean Payton, the game, they go, there's going to be a tangible impact. The Pelicans need that type of focus. Every player that you have in there is not, it cannot be, this is what I hope to see out of this guy. No. Year one, I want this. Year two, I want this. Year three, I want this. And that should be your individual plan for those players, for your franchise. Year one, we should have been here. Year two, I should be here. Year three, I should be there. And yes, there are adjustments. Life happens. But if you don't have the plan and the clarity of that plan, there's no chance to get to success. There's You're no constantly chance. in limbo. You're constantly in limbo. You're never knowing exactly what is going on. Well, it looks like we got an idea, but we really don't have the whole plan together. And we, you know, we're working on this. It's kind of like, we, yeah, yeah. and of course, you, because of course, growing up in New Orleans, when you ask somebody, say, man, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I, I kind of, you know, like right now, I'm in between this, but I got this going on over here. And you're like, Dude, you sure got a lot going on, but you ain't going nowhere. Like, it's the same situation. It has to align, and you have to have a barometer and set measures 
of where you need to be and go. You can't just say, well, this is Zion's second season. We want to be better than what we were last season. Well, hell, we know that. Everybody wants to be better than next year than what they were the previous year. But how do you get there? What are you doing to get there to be better? Because <laughs> you can't just say, you know, we need to have, we need to be a middle of the road defense and with the offense, we can be good. Well, how are you going to be a middle road defense? How do you get there? Which one what of these guys to has to be better? Which one of you is going to improve? Zion Williamson, are you going to do A, B, and C this offseason to be a better defender? Brandon Ingram, are you going to do A, B, and C this season to be a better defender? If you don't know for them, if you can't tell them during the offseason what they have to work on, what they need to improve on, and if they don't buy into that, then you're not going to get it to work. But ultimately, I will say this. This is not a situation that the Pelicans cannot get out of. It can be improved. There is absolutely room to, there's enough flexibility to make it better. But I think Mm -hmm. fans need to get realistic. It's not going to be Dame Lillard. It's not going to be Brad Beal. It's not going to be somebody like that who comes to the rescue. It's got to be pieces around the edge because your core, just like you've clearly decided, it's Zion and Brandon Ingram. You have decided that, that that is what you are building around. So everybody else, if they are not making those two guys better, then they have to go. No matter what you think of them, they have to go. It's all You have gone all in on Zion and Brandon Ingram, and that is a fine decision to make. But when you do that, you have to understand what that means, is that we are building around these two guys. We are not collecting talent around these guys we are looking for complementary pieces to make these guys and our team better check this out great analogy who doesn't like to go to a baseball game and eat a hot dog i like a nice hot dog at a baseball game but if you're cooking a pot of gumbo it don't mean you put that hot dog in that pot of gumbo just because the hot dog tastes good on that bun at the, at, at the baseball game. Yes, individually, that hot dog by itself is fantastic. But if you're trying to cook a pot of gumbo, everybody knows hot dogs don't go in gumbo. Just because it's good and talented don't mean it goes with the mix in order to be a successful pot of gumbo. It's the same situation here with the Pelicans. You could have all the talent and pieces around you But if they do not complement each other and if they are not in tune with each other, you have nothing and you will stay mediocre and you will continue to be, oh, man, we were almost right there. Oh, we were almost right there. We were almost right there. You stay almost right there. Mediocrity. Mediocrity. And they have to get out of that aspect in order to be better. Everybody's happy when you win. That's it. It's that simple. The fans are happy. The players are happy. Everybody's happy. Ain't nobody talking about nothing else when you're winning. That's all people want to talk nothing. about. And everybody wants to be part of the party when you're winning. Everybody wants to be part of it when you win it. Denver wasn't hot three years ago. Nobody was talking about Denver three years ago. Two years ago, nobody was talking about Phoenix. It doesn't take a long time. And that's the part, too, to encourage Pelicans fans, too. Don't be yes. conditioned to wait for success. 
Do not let them condition you and tell you that in sports you are supposed to be waiting. Because when you were no. like, look look right across the street from to the Superdome and they told you to be patient about the Saints and you was patient for 30 years and you got nothing. You know what I'm saying? No. I've been rooting for the New York Knicks my entire life and I've been patient. And I ain't got nothing to show for nothing. So patience is not has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with it. You either get the right people and you win today or you keep looking for those people and you don't. There's the, those are the only two options that there are, finding winners or searching for them. That's it. That's it. So don't let them, don't let David Griffin, don't let any sports media outlet tell you that you should wait, that you should be okay with waiting. That's why Zion Williamson ain't okay with it. I said, everybody exactly. should be glad that that young man is upset when you did not heed the warnings previously. When AD told you I needed some winning and you made bad moves and tried to rush it, it didn't work. When CP3 told you keep my group together and we can win something and they broke him up because his shin was cheap, it didn't work. You better listen to that boy, not, not necessarily do what he says personnel-wise, but listen and understand the urgency. If the young man wants to win, then that is a good thing. If he says I'm impatient about winning, that's a good thing. But what is he going to do too? Or Absolutely. Gotta be but what are he you is, going to do, Zion he is held, to win? He most year? certainly, he, he most certainly is held accountable, and he has to be held accountable. But you love when the guy who is going to be the face of your franchise is agitated because he wants to win right now. I guarantee you, in Phoenix, they sold Chris Paul on what they did in the bubble and what they could do with him on this team. And Chris was like, I'm looking at your roster. Dude, I could win with this. I have made more out of less, and you've got more here for me to go ahead and cook. Let me come here and look at what they did. It didn't, you know, they didn't sell Chris on Chris, you know, two years from now, three years from now, they were literally like, Chris, this year, right now. Cause look, you can people will say, well, look how many years they were failing with Devin Booker. Devin Booker was about to leave. Devin Booker was Devin about Booker to ask out. He was, was asking gone. out. He was but out. then you yes. draft, you get Aiton at number one, you get bridges in the same draft. And those two guys changed the entire direction of your franchise. Booker by himself wasn't going to do it. No, nope. we're still going to be a 20-win team with just Booker. But you and get then, Bridges and you get Aiton because you drafted the pieces in Bridges and in Aiton to complement what Booker did. And then you filled it in. The, you filled in the two other holes. We need a primary ball handler who can make it easy for Book. And we need a four who is tough and who's going to knock down these corner shots for us. And that's the two holes you filled because you look at that bench and it ain't nothing special on that nope. Phoenix bench. But it's a bunch of guys who are pros who do their job for the minutes that they're asked to do them. And let me add this caveat. So now that we've got eight, now that we've gotten bridges, now that we've got these other complementary pieces to give book to show him that we are gonna move in the right direction. Let's go ahead and get a coach who's gonna give them stability and a foundation and a work ethic who are gonna get them to buy in. And we said it last year and people wanted to laugh at it. 
oh, you're making a big deal about the bubble and what Phoenix did. We made a big deal about it because we knew what it was going to carry over into. And this is even before we knew about Chris Paul going there. We knew Monty having these guys buy in. To games that meant nothing. That really meant nothing to them. And you get them to buy in and compete and win all of them. To when they knew they had basically no chance of getting into the postseason, but they played like they could. And that, like you said, that stuff carries over. When I can get you to do something when it doesn't matter, when it doesn't really matter, because the Pelicans, it mattered for them and they didn't act like it did. Exactly. The Pelicans went down that the Pelicans had a greater chance of making it in the playoffs and they went down there and they squandered it. They played with no passion, no intentions of wanting to make the playoffs. Brooklyn and Brooklyn and and Phoenix were the only ones that went down there with people who had no shot and gave it everything that they had. And so to see that, like you said, for Chris Paul to come in after what he had just done in Oklahoma City and saw that those guys were competitors, he looks at Devin Booker, he looks at Aiden, he says, I can do – Aiden, I see a young Tyson Chandler with more athletic ability in in Aiden. That's what you look and you see that right there. When you look at Mikael Bridges, you say – Man, that's a lockdown wing defender who can do what I ask him to do, and he's young. He's going to run for days, and he can defend multiple positions. What's for me not to like? You, If you can make that picture in New Orleans, you can make that picture if you can sell it. Like you said, if Griff can talk that shit and sell <laughs> it to the right people, yes, it can turn around. The only thing that makes you question it is because you look at the track record and you say, do I trust him to do it? I don't know if I do, but do I think it's possible? I absolutely do. Do I think it's possible in New Orleans? I absolutely do. So I ain't negative about that. I will say this. I wouldn't trust David Griffin to watch my house for the weekend. That's all. <laughs> you end up and it'll be like Tyrone Biggers. Your house be sold in a $400,000 crack party. And that's, yeah. that's I don't trust him. And I don't think people, like you said, around the league, people don't trust him. But the Pelicans are not in dire straits. They're not in dire straits. They're not in a bad place. They're just in a very weird place. Take this out. This was also a question on the Twitter feed in regards to, you haven't seen high, low, no pun intended, you haven't seen high, low of Trajan Langdon and his input and his voice, Swin Cash. None of these people that you supposedly brought in, you don't hear anything from anybody except Griff. How many how many press conferences you hear from uh, James Jones this year? Shit. How many? Uh, how I'm many? sorry. Ever, how many? Did you hear any? Have you heard him speak this year? Have you heard James Jones speak this year? I'm thinking, and I have not one single time. Can you even name name the GM? or VP of operations in Utah? I would have to look on my phone. Denver? Clueless. Because when you win and they don't need to see you, <laughs> when you empower the people around you to do their jobs, you'll get the credit when you do well. People will talk about James Jones for him right now. He don't have to talk yeah. about himself. Yeah. He doesn't have to Everybody. be on TV. Everybody is championing James Jones as one of the top executives for the moves that he made 
to help Devin Booker. Everybody else is talking about James Jones. James Jones is not talking about James Jones. When you do great shit, people talk about you. You don't have to talk about yourself. You know, has, when, I get it. If you're Floyd Mayweather, you're Muhammad Ali in boxing, yes, you're talking yourself up to sell tickets, man. And it's a one-on-one. I'm in the middle of the ring fighting people for my life. Right. I might die. It's me here. against the world. It's me against the world. But in yeah. the rest of your life, you know it. The dudes who talk the loudest, the women who talk the loudest, the people who always got the most to say, usually got the most to hide. And they're mm-hmm. hiding it with their words. They're trying to distract you with their words. Say that again. Repeat that again for the listeners. Repeat what you just said about those who are talking the most. Go ahead. They are trying to distract you and they are trying to blind you and flood you with words so that you don't know that they don't really have anything. This is how magic works. Don't worry about there not being an engine in the car. Kick the tire. Turn on the radio. Listen to it. (laughs) That's, that's That's all this is. So be vigilant, be persistent, and be hopeful. That's high-low. The Pelicans can turn this around. We most certainly will never take away hope. But you have to compliment Zion Williamson with the right pieces right now. Now. There is no tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. If you want to win, and you have to set a different precedence, it, it's it's a it's truly the most cultural thing that is necessary. It will take care of itself. You know, sometimes, in all honesty, sometimes Brandon Ingram and Zion don't even look like they're connected on the court. But they I'm saying, if disjoint. the organization is committed to those two, then you got to make it work. You, oh, if that's absolutely. the decision you made, you got to make it work. work. And D Grub, I will I, I will say this until I am pink in the face, which ain't gonna ever happen. David Griffin has to lay out what my expectations and what my plan is. Presented to those players who are still going to be here that you want here. Talk with them and get their insight. Again, I'm not saying I'm going to do and give you everything that you want. But I want to know. But if I got 12, but if I got 12 guys and these 12 guys are telling me these are the five to seven things that we have to have, I'm going to do everything in my power to get those five to seven things because that's what's going to bring you together, right? Yeah, Jeff. All right, then. Here we go. I'm going to get this for you. I'm going to I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to get on the horn. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to pull this off. But once I pull this off, now the onus all falls back on you. A coach's responsibility is to put you in a position to be successful and to do what serves you best on that court. It is up to you as a player to do the intangibles. It is not on Stan Van Gundy nor Alvin Gentry if Zion is not bringing his big ass across from the weak side to defend and block a shot. That's on you, the player, because you knew. How many times have we talked about, it's almost as if a lot of times they don't even watch game film of opposing teams, of what they do in tendencies. 
know your personnel. That was something that's been a big criticism for them all the time. So it's the problems yes, are apparent, but like we said, there are solutions to those problems. They are They're correctable. Correct. This is not a, a fire and brimstone situation, but mm-hmm. if you don't let people who you've hired to do their jobs do their jobs, and if you don't pick the right people to do those jobs, because ultimately as an executive, that's what you're accountable for too. You People can be happy that he corrected course and said, this is not the right coach I need to do. That's fine. But you failed twice. You don't get four and five opportunities to keep hiring coaches, man. It just doesn't work that way. So this better hit. That's all. That that The model, don't need no one by out of this better hit. That's the model for this, for this season. <laughs> this better hit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It better hit. What else is there? Right? What else is there? Ain't no all in. Ain't no one by punk. Don't worry about none of that. This better hit. It better hit for everybody. Better hit for David Griffin. Better hit for Zion. Better hit for B.I. Better hit for Gail Benson. Better hit for the NBA. The NBA needs the Pelicans to be good because they, they got this their number one pick sitting down here missing the playoffs when 60% of the league is in the two-thirds of the league is in the playoffs and the Pelicans can't get in. The league ain't happy. So everybody wants Pelicans to do well. People can say that there's this idea that the people want the Pelicans to fail. Pelicans have been set up so well for success. Everything has been handed them for success. They yes. it's up to them now to not squander. Yes. 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 It's on you. What you gonna do? Herb gave you everything. Alright, we grinded it. We glad to do it, and we'll do it again next week. Cause I'm shit up with more news. Maybe we even have a coach by the knows. So until the next time, he is Dino, the Dean Hansen. I am David Club. And this is how I go all hard to pay. Talk to y'all soon.